0: focusing on zephaniah and the day of the lord in terms of the uh, the prophecy of zephaniah brother fred pierce in his book from hosea to zephaniah um puts the prophecy into four simple sections and uh, i i think you've got to agree with this really so just if you think to yourself you're not sure about zephaniah and uh Not sure how it breaks up. That's a kind of really useful thing to just see it in those four sections. And you can see that we today are going to be focusing on the coming day of the Lord upon Judah. And that's from chapter 1 verse uh, 1 right right through to chapter 2 and verse 3. So you can see how chapter 2 and verse 3 finishes. It may be you shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. And uh, Zephaniah's name means hidden by Yah. So there's a little play on his name there. But certainly in chapter one, we can see really clearly that we're looking at the coming day of the Lord. In fact, the Hebrew word for day is used 21 times in Zephaniah, and 14 of those occurrences are in chapter one. So, so just look at, again, we've just read it, but look at verse 14, 15, 16. You can just see the emphasis. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteth greatly even the voice of the day of the Lord. The mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. It goes on, doesn't it? So very clearly you can get the idea that this is talking about the day of the Lord. So this day of judgment is looming. And we know that in the first instance, uh, when this is going to be, if we just simply look at the first verse and get the initial context of this. So the word of the Yahweh, which came unto Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gedli, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, Hezekiah we believe that to be, in the days of Josiah the son of Ammon, king of Judah. So this is absolutely fundamental that we've got this, that this is happening in the days of Josiah. Well, Josiah prophesied for 31 years. Um, He's one of the last kings of Judah. After him, there's three of his sons reign and one of his grandsons reign, Uh, but they're kind of relatively short reigns, three months, 11 years, three months, 11 years. Uh, So we want to know when in that 31 of years of Josiah's reign did uh, Zephaniah start prophesying. And furthermore, if you know anything about Josiah, you'll know that he was one of the good ones, you know, one of the few good kings, a really good king. So why would God send Zephaniah to speak of impending judgment during the reign of Josiah, when he was such a good king? And the answer we think is because in the days of Manasseh, so that's Josiah's grandpa, so Josiah's dad was Ammon, and then his uh, um, yeah, dad was Manasseh. In the days of Manasseh, the, things, the wickedness in Judah reached such a high level that God declared that judgment must come. Uh, Jeremiah, who was a contemporary of Zephaniah, prophesied this. He said, I will cause them to be removed unto all kingdoms of the earth. Of course, it's God speaking through Jeremiah. Because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah. So you've got that reference, Jeremiah 15 and verse 4. So because of the fact that things got so bad, God said, judgment has to come. And even though this good King Josiah comes onto the throne and he tries to do such good, in the end, that judgment is going to come. Well, keep a marker here, and let's go back to 2 Chronicles 34. So, Jay, can you pass me a pencil? So I'll have my marker. Look around. So, of course, colour pencils are always awesome. I'll see if I can find a bit of colouring for you too tonight. But let's put our marker in there, and come with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 34. And we're looking now at the historical context uh, to all this. So here we're going to see that Josiah does his utmost to, to change the people. In uh, the, the, the 12th year of his reign, Joseph, so Josiah, you might remember, he was famous because he came onto the throne when he was eight years old. Well, so in the 12th year of his reign, when he was only 20 years old, he set to work to cleanse Judah. So are you with me? 2 Chronicles 34, and let's get in in verse 3. So so apologies, this one here is actually earlier again. This is, uh, uh, we'll, we'll see there's a couple of uh, things that he does. So this is when he's 16. Duke Chronicles 34, verse 3. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. And in the 12th year, so that's when he's 20, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. And they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence and the images that were on high above them. He cut down and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. He break in pieces and made dust of them and showed it upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them. And he burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so he did in the cities of Manasseh and Ephraim, Simeon, even unto Naphtali with their matter round about. So it's amazing, isn't it? He's going right up into the northern kingdom as well trying to cleanse this place, Israel. When he'd broken down the altars and the groves and had beaten the graven images into powder and cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. So Josiah clearly manages to get a great deal of the mess which judah had uh, got into uh, and he does his utmost to clear it out doesn't he he gets rid of these altars to Baal and these idols that are all over the place in judah and in the land of israel but if your finger is still in zephaniah you still got your marker there i want you to notice is this in verse four he said god says i will stretch out my hand upon judah and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place, and the name of the Camerons, with the priests. So, Josiah, although he did his to clear things out, clearly we can see from Zephaniah that there was still a real mess. There was still a remnant that were left who were still worshipping Baal. And as a result, then, of Zephaniah's prophecy, Josiah gets to work again. So, looking back at 2 Chronicles 34, I would suggest that between verse 7 and verse 8 of 2 Chronicles 34, you could put it in pencil, put into your margin there, this is where Zephaniah is prophesying. So, Have a look then at Zephyr chapter 1 now and verse 12. It shall come to pass at that time that God, I will search Jerusalem with candles and punish the men that are settled on their leaves that say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, neither will he do evil. So those who were thinking that they had managed to hide themselves from Josiah's first cleansing of Jerusalem were going to be in for a shock because God would not allow them to hide their and images at this time. So I would suggest that Zephaniah is prophesying between Josiah's two clear out. We're going to look at the other one in a moment that in the 12th year of his reign, when he's 20, he gets to work. But there's still a remnant. Zephaniah says, I'm going to deal with these people who just think that everything's going to be okay. And then Josiah gets to work again. So I believe that Josiah would have heard the word Zephaniah and that would have inspired him to get into gear, to think I'm going to try to do something about this situation. Now we can see from... Uh, Another historical account. So I'd like to come now to 2 Kings 22 and we're going to have a look at the parallel account. And thankfully we're given a a little bit more detail here. And here we're going to see about Josiah's second cleansing. So chapter 22, first of all, if it's okay, chapter 22 and verse three tells us that this is in the 18th year of King Josiah. Okay, so remember then, if you're looking at your screen, you can see my PowerPoint, you'll recognize that this is the second cleansing that's now going to happen. So we're not mentioned about the first cleansing that we saw in the Chronicles account. But here now in the 18th year of his reign, Josiah is about to get to work. And, And what we're going to see now is something that's really useful in terms of being able to connect Zephaniah to this time in history. So first of all, 2 Kings 23 and verse 2. The king went up into the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant which was found in the house of the Lord. So I would suggest again that when it says prophets there in verse 2 you could you would know that Jeremiah is one of those prophets and Zephaniah is one of those prophets and Zephaniah I believe is going is what he's saying through chapter 1 of Zephaniah is inspiring Josiah now to go about this second cleansing so let's have a look at some connections between the this passage here in 2 Kings 23 And Zephaniah chapter 1. So the Hebrew words are all exactly the same here. And there are a couple of these connections which are really important to notice because they make this case very strong. The Kemarim, for example, remember when Noah was reading, you know, that, um, you know, you think to yourself, Kemarim, all of us must have thought at that time, you know, who who are they, the Kemarim, in Zephaniah 1 and verse 4. Well, they do not come up in Scripture very often. That they're talked about as the the sort of black idolatrous priests, uh, as in they wore black clothes, in contrast to uh, the priests of Yahweh who wore uh, white linen. But here in uh, Two Kings twenty three, you can see them mentioned in verse five. Um, the idolatrous priests. Just have a look at your margin against idolatrous priests, and it should tell you if you've got a margin like mine, anyway, the Hebrew is Kemeran. So that's only used three times, once in Kings, once in Hosea, and then in Zephaniah. And so because of the very rare use of that word, we feel confident suggesting this is the time period for Zephaniah's prophecy. So I suppose the question to answer now is, well, has this second cleansing by Josiah this one that he did in his 18th year, so when he was 26, has this second cleansing done enough to save Judah from the day of judgment that was promised by Zephaniah um, or by God through Zephaniah? And the simple answer is no. And the reason is clear. The people don't change. You may have seen before the emphasis that's placed on the fact that Josiah is the one who's doing everything here. So if you've not seen this, then just color in the first couple of these and then color them all another time. OK, so uh, for me, I went green. Choose your color. Here we go. Two Kings 23 verse one. The king sent and they gathered unto him all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem. So who was doing it? The king. Verse two. The king w- Went up to the house of the Lord. Who was doing it? The king. Verse 3. The king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord. Who was doing it? The king. Verse 4. The king commanded Hilkiah the high priest. Who was doing it? The king. Then just keep going. Verse 5. And he put down the idolatrous priest. Verse 6. And he brought out the grove. Verse seven, he broke down the house of the Sodomites. Verse eight, he brought all the priests out to the cities of Judah. Verse 10, he defiled Topher. Verse 11, he took away the horses. So it's not quite so clear, but you can see it again. Verse 12, verse 14, verse 16, verse 18, verse 20. So the key thing to get a hold of is the fact that Josiah, the king, is doing all the work. The king is the one doing it. And yet the people are not actually changing through this. Josiah turned with his whole heart. Look at this in verse 25. 2 Kings 23 verse 25. Like unto him was there no king before him that turned to Yahweh with all his heart, with all his soul and with all his might remember how the Lord Jesus Christ said that's what I want somebody who wants to give their all that's what God wants that's what Josiah was like he gave everything to God that's a uh, reference that I said about the Lord Jesus Christ I've got in my margin mark 12 and verse 30 the Josiah was like and yet the people didn't. There's a contrast with them. I wanted to hold. I know you've got your markers, but we need this. 2 Kings 23 and Jeremiah chapter 3. Remember, Jeremiah is a contemporary prophet. So he's prophesying at the same time. Jeremiah chapter 3. Really good cross-reference here. Jeremiah 3 verse 6. The Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king. So God is speaking to him in the days of Josiah. He says, have you not seen that which backsliding Israel have done? Israel went after kind of every uh, high mountain, every green tree. They love to set up their idols. And there's still places in the world where people do set up idols on the tops of mountains and under big trees. know, Sarah and I spent some time in Sri Lanka doing some mission work. We, we couldn't believe it. You know, on the top of the hills, there'd be statues and under kind of really lovely big old trees, they'd put statues. Now, this was the place to kind of put the idols. But Israel did it. And although Judah should have learned that, the Less they didn't learn the lesson. Look at this in verse 10. Yet, for all this, her treacherous sister Judah so Israel was punished, they got sent into to Assyria into captivity. And yet, for all this, although they, they didn't learn the lesson, Judah has not turned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly saith the Lord. So, in the days of Josiah, Jeremiah is told, Tell these people that they are not turning to me with their whole heart. So, let's just contrast this, make sure we got it. Two kings. 20 verse 25, Josiah turned with his whole heart. There was no king like him for turning with their whole heart. And yet the people were not changing. And so the day of judgment that Zephaniah was speaking of would still need to come. What the people were doing was simply a lip service. Now, speaking of lips, you probably think that you know I'm wearing lipstick or something. Unfortunately, I burnt my lips really badly uh, a week ago. So if you ever go out kayaking, make sure you put on Factor One Million sun cream on your lips. Uh, otherwise, you'll end up with lips like mine that, uh, on enormous amounts of medication, are still looking a bit awful and uh, needing a bit of time to heal. So um, they were just doing lip service, but I just realised that me saying that is going to make you look at my lips now. Focus back on the PowerPoint. Focus back on your your, your scriptures. Don't look at my lips again. So Zephaniah, let's have a look back in Zephaniah again. He says this at the end of verse six, that this judgment is going to come on those who've not sought the Lord. So can you see this in Zephaniah one, verse six, those that have not sought Yahweh nor inquired of him. Now, remember where we put this. We said that we think this is before Josiah's second cleansing, but after his first cleansing. So when Josiah hears this, what would you do if you were Josiah? Surely you'd be saying to the people, you need to go and inquire of the Lord. You need to go and seek the Lord. This is what Zephaniah is telling us to do. Well, look at this now. Hold Zephaniah. Come to 2 Chronicles 34. So again, you'll realize we're going back to that passage we we first went to, one of the historical accounts, 2 Chronicles chapter 34. So 2 Chronicles 34 and verse 24. Thus saith the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the curses that are written in the book, which they have read before the king of Judah, Suggest that was Deuteronomy, because they have forsaken me and have burnt incense unto other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be poured out upon this place and shall not be quenched. And as for the king of Judah, who's that? Josiah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of God of Israel concerning the words which thou hast heard. Now, isn't that interesting? So Zephaniah has said, This judgment is going to come on those who have not sought the Lord or inquired of the Lord. You got that? Zephaniah 1, verse 6, in your margin there, 2 Chronicles 34 and verse 26. Josiah is saying to them, Go, go and inquire of the Lord. Make sure you're trying to build a relationship. Patient with Yahweh. Otherwise, this impending judgment is going to come. But as we know, although they might have been sent by Josiah to inquire of the Lord, they weren't really interested. Their hearts weren't in it. And therefore, this judgment still needed to come. They were too entrenched in their wicked ways. And so the prophecy of Zephaniah focuses on the judgments that would come. So let's go back to Zephaniah. And let's pick this out now. Zephaniah chapter one and verse seven. Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God. For the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice. He hath bid his guests and it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children. You know, I know that we're not looking at this now, but the king's children, they were wicked and they needed to be punished. And all such as are clothed with strange apparel. Now, you can see then that these words of Zephaniah concerning the day of the Lord's sacrifice is going to speak of the Babylonian invasion. So really, when you're looking there at the end of verse seven, the guests who've been bid by the Lord God are the Babylonians. He's saying to them, come down and the sacrifice This is a grim thing, thought. But is the people of judah they are going to be ruined by the babylonians and god is going to allow that to happen to punish them for their wickedness this time as with so many of god's prophecies so this is obviously zephaniah is not just out there dreaming these things up the lord god is speaking through him as with many of god's prophecies we see parallels with later times, and uh, in this case, later times of judgment. And there seems no doubt in my mind that the Lord Jesus Christ picks up on those words that we just read from verse 7 and 8, and he uses them when telling a parable about the judgment that would come in AD 70. So let's go and have a look at that together now. So we'll go to Matthew chapter 22. So Mark, go back in Zephaniah, Matthew chapter 22. So we're going to read this whole parable together. And what would be good is if you started looking for some of these connections to yourself, and then I'll, I'll show you them afterwards. But see what you can spot first of all. Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. So I'm in Matthew 22, verse 3. He sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them that are bidden. Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go therefore unto the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered them together, all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having, uh, not having a wedding garment? He was speechless. And said the king to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away, cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. So we read that together just so that we kind of hopefully can, and hopefully you've picked up uh, some of the connections that are there. But so this parable that the Lord Jesus is telling is about the fact that the the Lord Jesus Christ came to the Jews, but the Jews made light of his message, they rejected him. And so when the king heard thereof, verse seven, he was wroth and he sent forth his armies, in this case, the Romans, and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. In your margin, AD 70. That is when that happened. So the Jews rejected God's invitation. Jesus had just told them Actually, in chapter 21 of Matthew, if you just look back at the end of chapter 21, in verse 43, the kingdom of God is going to be taken from you Jews and shall be given to a nation, the Gentiles, who will bring forth the fruits thereof. And we hope that we're amongst those who are trying to bring forth the fruit that God wants from us. In this parable, the Lord Jesus Christ goes on then, doesn't he, to draw on the situation in Zephaniah's time to speak of a day of judgment when those who are not arrayed in the correct apparel will be utterly rejected. And we know that the correct garments should have been fine linen, the righteousness of saints, and but that's reserved for those who put their faith in God. And clearly, as those princes in Zephaniah's day, who were just in the wrong apparel, so too, the people, the Jews here, and, and anyone, of course, through history, who's chosen to go about their ways and think to themselves they're rejecting God's ways. They don't want God's uh, covering. You know, I think from Genesis 3, it's God's provision. Salvation is God's provision. He gives the covering in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you reject that, then, you know, it's curtains for you. Well, let's go back to Zephaniah chapter 1. And see the prophet now continuing in verse 10 and 11. And uh, you, this one's a bit uh, a challenging verse, but let's try and unpick it together. It shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that there shall be the noise of a cry from the fish gate, a howling from the second, and a great crashing from the hills. So remember he's talking about the day of judgment? He's saying... On on that day of John, you're going to see this. There's going to be this great noise and a cry from the fish gate and a great crashing from the hills. Verse 11, how are the inhabitants of Maktesh for all the people, uh, the merchant people are cut down and all they that bear silver are cut off. Well, I'm going to show you here a copy of Brother Lane Ripmeyer's map, as it were, or diagram of Jerusalem at the time of Nehemiah. And what I want you to notice is where the fish gate was. So can you see that it's up there in the north? And I want you to kind of notice that because I think it's important. Now, Manasseh, I'll show you a little click here. Manasseh, I think, put uh, captains of war and uh, mighty men, as it were, up near the fish gate. Why? Because if the Babylonians were going to invade, they'd come from the north. And so that was where it was worth trying to make sure that you've got your kind of your your uh, captains of war, your mighty ones. The word for second. So I want to keep looking back now in Zephaniah 1 verse 10. So the fish gate, anything we've picked up right now is it's the north of the city. The word for second in verse 10, your margin will tell you, possibly anyway, my margin tells me, the revised version margin, that. It's the Hebrew word Mishnah, and that is a reference to the learning or to the colleges. In fact, um, let me give you a useful cross-reference. So hopefully you're noting these things down, and I'll just, while I've got a moment, just see if I can find this. Yes. Um, Now, in 2 Kings 22 and verse 14, don't turn there. It talks about um, Holder and how she in Jerusalem in the college. And that word college is this word, the second, in Zephaniah 1 and verse 10. It was the place of learning. So if you came through the fish gate, you then come down to the second part, this place of learning. Then in verse 11, he says, the inhabitants of Maktesh. And the word Maktesh is literally the word mortar, but it's to do with the building where they, the, the mortar of the marketplace. That was what the Maktesh was. It was the marketplace where they did the trading. Hence it says, Howly inhabitants of Maktesh, for all the merchant people are cut down. So then what you've got is the fish gate. That's where we noticed the mighty men were set up. Then we got to the college. Well, that's where the wise people would be. And then we get to the Maktesh, which is where the rich people would be, the people who are making money. So essentially, we've got this picture of judgment, though, coming down from the north. How you know, The noise of cry from the fish gate, bang, crash. Uh, a crashing from the, into the second is a called? So you can imagine, like, hopefully my sound effects are kind of making it real for you. Imagine this Babylonian army coming down, you know, bashing their way through. And you know, this is this picture that God is saying it's going to come down from the north through Jerusalem. Well at this same time, Jeremiah, remember a contemporary prophet, said this, Thus saith Yahweh, Jeremiah 9 in verse 23, Let not the wise man, people in the Maktesh, glory in his wisdom. Neither let the mighty men, those at the fish gate, glory in his might. Let not the rich man, those at the Maktesh, sorry, glory in his riches. So the Mishnah, the wise men, the fish gate, the mighty men, the Maktesh, those rich men who are trying to bring about that. So here we've got, in Zephaniah 1, verse 10 and 11, those three classes of people. And the final part of this chapter i believe is a development of that so let's see if we can work this out together then so the first i think is about the mighty men so we're going to keep going down now and pick up from verse 14 of zephaniah chapter 1 so let's just see if i can uh see if we can find this out then zephaniah 1 verse 14 what do you think the great day of the lord is near is near and hasteth greatly even the voice of the day of the lord the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distra- a day of distress, a day of wastefulness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloomness, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities and against the high battlements. So in other words, your might will do you nothing in that day. Those who are lying on the fish gate, to, thinking that uh, if, as long as the mighty men were up there, they would be okay woe to them then the prophet i think perhaps refers to the wise men so see what you think about this one so it's, it's a bit more difficult to work this one out but I, there's a case to be made verse 17 i will bring distress upon men and they shall walk like blind men because they've sinned against the lord well this is clearly a connection to deuteronomy 28 i don't doubt that but If you come to Job, to Job chapter 5, then you might just see a good cross-reference here. Job chapter 5. Job 5 and verse 13 and 14. God says, or it says of God, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness, and the count for the froward is carried headlong. They meet with darkness in the daytime and grope in the noonday as in the night. So can you see that what I'm saying is that that reference in Job five verse thirteen and fourteen is showing how God makes the people who think that they're brilliant seers, like these people who've got wisdom that they can see what no one else can see. He's, I'm going to make those as blind people. And so when we're back in Zephaniah one. I think that Zephaniah 1 in verse 17 is a reference then to the wise becoming like blind men. The Mishnah, where the college was. Those people, they're useless at this time. So if you think your wisdom is going to save you against the day of judgment, you are mistaken. So then, well, the next one's easy, isn't it? Zephaniah 1 in verse 18. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. So clearly there, we've got it, haven't we? There's a reference back to those in the marketplace who rely on money to deliver them. Well, I'm sure that I do not need to spell out this exhortation to all of us. And yet, actually, we do need these things spelled out time and again, don't we, in reality? we must not trust in ourselves you know jeremiah went on in chapter 9 the next verse to say let no flesh glory in his presence in fact that that's what uh, the apostle paul says when he picks up those words from jeremiah 9 and 1 corinthians 1 really important words and it might be even worth us just churning to them shall we quickly turn over to them Zephaniah chapter 1, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26. He says, you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, the rich are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world. So think about your priorities. Is your priority all about trying to get money? Are you desperate to get the highest education, to be the wisest people there are, thinking that, that the worldly wisdom will sort you out in this life? Are, are you desperate to get yourself as, as, as fit as possible to constantly make that your aim in life, thinking that you know, if, if you're kind of some ultimate muscle person, then, then, then you will be sorted in life? Of course, when we think about it, we realize those things are all futile, they're pointless. Look at this then. God doesn't want, verse 29, any flesh to glory in his presence. But, verse 31, he that glorieth, and you see your margin, Jeremiah 9, verse 23 and 24, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. That's what we're about. We glory in the Lord. What does that mean? It means that when God says this is right and this is wrong, that's what we go along with. We glory in the Lord. He is everything to us. So back then, turn back to Zephaniah, and we'll uh, start to draw our thoughts to to a conclusion. If we don't glory in the Lord, then these same judgments that were laid out in Zephaniah's time will be applied to us in the end. You see, what we see time and again through this prophecy is a repeated pattern when it comes to the judgments of God. We've already seen, haven't we, how that this applies to AD 70. The Lord Jesus Christ clearly picks up verse 7 and 8 and applies it to a parable about the judgment to come when the Romans would come in AD 70. But actually, this goes beyond that to the time when the Lord Jesus Christ will come again. Look at verse 15. Zephaniah 1 verse 15. It says that the day of judgment would be a day of darkness and gloominess when God, verse 17, would bring distress upon men. Well, to save me turning these up, I'm, I'm showing you this on the screen. That The day of darkness and gloominess, we see there in Matthew 24, verse 29, the Olivet Prophecy, speaking about the time before the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. And that parallel account in Luke 21 talks about there being distress of nations. You see, these are patterns of judgment. What happened in Zephaniah's time would happen again in AD 70. It would happen again when the Lord Jesus Christ comes. So we've got to be heeding these words and thinking, where are our priorities lying? Who are we putting our trust in? Ourselves, our riches, our might, our wisdom, or in the Lord God? We'd like to just pick up a little theme here, which could also be explained by the Lord Jesus. See, The Lord Jesus, when speaking about the time of his return, speaks about it being as it was in the days of Noah. And there I've put that up in uh, from Matthew 24 and verse 37. So that same context, Jesus says, this judgment that's coming when I come back to the world eventually is going to be like it was in the days of Noah. People will be carrying on with their lives, choosing to be ignorant of what's coming. And then suddenly the day will arrive. Well, here in Zephaniah, what's interesting is we see lots of connections to the time of Noah. So there you can see on your screen, Genesis 6 to 9 is that all about Noah. And you can see how clearly we've got these connections there uh, back to the time of Noah in Zephaniah. And I've, I've got them kind of running through Zephaniah there. But hopefully you can see that. So isn't it interesting that... In the time of Noah, the judgment came. We see that then. We then see Zephaniah saying, in his day, judgment would come, and it came in the form of the Babylonians. In the Lord Jesus Christ's day, he said that judgment would come, and it came in the form of the Romans in AD 70. And the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Olivet Prophecy, said, and when I'm coming again, see that it will be like it was in the days of Noah. How interesting then, that all the time we've got these patterns of judgment going on just have a look then in Zephaniah chapter 1 and you can see that the land is going to be utterly consumed so uh, verse 2 of Zephaniah 1 I will utterly consume all things from off the land saith the Lord and I suppose immediately we think to ourselves of the fact that actually in the flood that happened but I want you to also notice how that in verse 3 we've got a reversal of the creation of God so Have a look at this then. So in Genesis 1, God said, let the waters bring forth abundance. You can see this on your screen. The moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly. And God made the beast of the earth. And God said, let us make man in our image. So there was the order of creation. So from Genesis 1, verse 20, verse 25, verse 26. But here in Zephaniah 1, we see a reversal of that. I will consume man And beast, the fowls of the air, and the fishes of the sea. It's a terrible thing, isn't it? To see what God has got to do because of man. God created things perfectly, yet it's man who spoilt what was good and right. So we've seen these patterns time and again now surely we recognize that the exhortation that was given to them is the exhortation that we've got to take on board. Like Noah, we've got to walk with God. We've got to turn our whole hearts to God. As Josiah, you can't do this half-heartedly. You've got to make a commitment to God and then... Genuinely, make it your joy to try to follow his ways. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ did. He made it his joy. Of course, it was challenging. But actually, it was a joy for him to try to follow in God's ways. Now, you know, you think to yourself, well, is it really? I've got all these challenges. Of course, it's a joy. Your challenge is to try to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Under anyone's terms, he was the loveliest person that walked this earth. That's your challenge. To try to live like him, to try to stand up for the things which are right, and what a blessing it is that you actually have got a rock on which to build your life. You've got some morals that you can say, "I know what's right and I know what's wrong," because I've turned to the Word of God. Not that every time that I read the the media or listen to some radio station or watch some TV or some film, that I suddenly start thinking oh, perhaps I should do it like that or perhaps my morals should change. We don't need to do that. We've got a rock on which to build our lives. Everyone else is topsy-turvy all over the place. We've got something solid. What else can we learn? We've got to seek the Lord. Inquire for him. Remember Zephaniah said, you've got to try to do that. There's a lovely verse in Isaiah 55 that says, seek the Lord while he may be found. I'm sure through this week you'll hear talks telling you that we, we believe we're near to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, to that day of judgment. Let's make sure we're seeking the Lord while he can be found. And what's really lovely about this is this, well let's just finish by looking at Zephaniah 2 and verse 3. Seek ye the Lord all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment, seek righteousness, seek right ways, seek meekness, have the humility to learn them. And it may be, ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. Um, I've made the point that Zephaniah's name means hidden by Yah. I think there's a lovely cross-reference there to Colossians 3 in verse 1 and 2, that for us, if we then, it says, if we then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on the things of the earth, For you are dead if you be been baptised and your life is hid with Christ in God. So we'll finish our study there.